Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Mike. Lauren. Mike, have you upgraded your phone to Android L yet? No, uh, because I don't have a folding phone. I only have a regular old non-folding Pixel. And you call yourself a tech editor. Uh, Yes, several people call me a tech editor. (laughs) (laughs) I guess my question is, is anyone actually using folding phones? You know, sometimes I see one in the wild, and then it turns out that the person who's holding it just like works at Samsung. Same. (laughs) I think I've seen one three times in the wild, and every time they're an employee at Samsung. Well, uh, we should talk about the new Samsung device. Yeah, speaking of Samsung, let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And we're joined this week by Wired Reviews editor Julian Chikatu, who's joining us from New York City. Hey, Julian. Hey, how are you? Is Tobu the dog around as well? No, I had to uh, kick him out of the room because I, you never know when he's going to start barking. Well, he's welcome <laughs> anytime. Let's just talk about cats and dogs this episode. What do we say? Sure. All right. Well, it's been a while since we've talked about Samsung and Android. But this week, Samsung hosted its annual Unpacked event, which is a smartphone launch event. These are usually loud, hyped up events that are supposed to get everyone excited about the latest new thing. And since Samsung is one of the world's biggest smartphone makers, we tend to pay close attention to this because its design decisions are often a kind of leading indicator of what we might see in upcoming phones. But in recent years, Samsung has really been hyping up foldable phones, which is something that really hasn't been embraced by the mass market yet. And then some of the other stuff that Samsung showed off this week, like new smartwatches and earbuds, don't exactly feel new. So we asked Julian to join us and break down what is actually new. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about Android. But first, Julian, bend our ears, please. See what I did there? Yes. Bending, folding. Yes. All right, start with the foldables. What do we need to know? So they're not that different from last year's phones. The biggest changes here are actually that Samsung has made the hinge smaller and they've overall reduced the footprint uh, just 
Generally, they are a bit more compact devices, which is important. And these are the kind of iterations that we've been seeing year over year since 2019, since they started coming out with these foldables. So there's the Flip 4, which is kind of like a traditional smartphone that you can kind of fold in half, like a compact mirror almost. Really nice if you hate large phones. And then there's the Fold 4, which is kind of like a normal smartphone that you can then open up into a larger book. So you get a larger screen on the inside and kind of gives you a bit more of a tablet experience. So from the brief hands-on times I had with them, it's they're pretty much almost exactly the same in terms of how they feel and look, just maybe a little more polished and refined. A lot of the updates here are like a new chip. So, you know, they're a bit more faster, upgraded cameras, so the cameras would be a little bit better. Some of the more important new features are basically in the software to make them a little easier to use. Um, for the Flip 4, for example, there's more things now you can do on the cover screen, which is the tiny little screen that's on the front of the phone when it's folded up. So you can you know, send messages right there. You can use Samsung Wallet. You can start a video, basically, all without having to open the phone up, making it a little bit more useful there. And so with the Fold 4, there's basically improvements to the interface because this is the first device that's running Android 12L. So people who are not really into folding phones, the thing that they point to as a reason that they don't want one is the crease that appears on the flexible screen when it's unfolded and the hinge, uh, which feels like it is the obvious point of failure, the thing that is going to break on the phone first. And I know that over the last couple of years, Samsung has really been trying to fix those two things. So where are they with the crease and the hinge? So the hinge is now smaller than ever before, and they made it a point to mention that at the announcement today. It feels, I mean, I, I haven't used a foldable phone for like, you know, more than a couple of months. So it's hard to say. I know people that have used foldable phones for, you know, going on a year or two, and they haven't mentioned any issues with the hinge. And do they work for Samsung? They do not. They do not okay. work for Samsung. <laughs> um, but they, they basically, you know, Samsung has made it a point to show off the amount of testing that they do with opening and closing it and how many cycles that sort of function can last. So we kind of have to take their word for it, but we haven't also heard too many, you know, failure points happening of late in the past two to three years about the hinge necessarily. With the crease, I don't know if we're ever really going to see, at least anytime soon, a huge difference in not having a crease anymore like a normal smartphone. I think that's just something that's going to always exist. It definitely is less obvious if you are sitting in an environment without like an overhead light because that's not reflecting off of that crease. When you have full screen apps or split screen apps, it's going to be less obvious. But if you're kind of just looking at something, I don't know. It's, I don't, it's, it's one of those things like the notch or the, you know, selfie cameras that are just sitting in the display. It's one of those things that, over time, you kind of just ignore it. You get used to it. I don't think it's as big of a deal, um, but you know, I'm not discounting it as an issue. Right. Right. I think the bigger deal is just carrying around something that is like the size of a book. Yeah. Folded it, up in your back pocket. When it's folded, it is twice as thick as a normal phone. The original one felt like having a TV remote in your back pocket, Yeesh. like a fat one. Am I fat shaving the TV remote? <laughs> No. Okay. <laughs> the Logitech uh, Universal Remote of old. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm, I'm not judging. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, Julian, how much do these cost? So the Flip 4 is $1,000, which in traditional smartphone terms is, you know, kind of average for a high-end Android phone. Relatively affordable for a phone that folds in half. Um, so I think that's a pretty decent price. But in this market, that's still very expensive. Um and the Fold 4 is 1800 which is definitely Ooh. not sort of a phone for 
you know, any random person. It's, 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 it's really aimed at business people or, you know, creatives that have a lot of money or creators that have a lot of money or basically just anyone that has a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so even with those high prices, people are actually buying these things, right? Because we keep joking about the fact that we never see them in the wild, but how, how are they selling? How are they doing? Anecdotally, I had a uh, delivery driver, a food delivery driver show up with a Galaxy Fold like mounted on his bike which I thought was amazing. I have seen some flips in the wild, but yeah, it's not like, you know, everyday sightings or anything like that. Samsung is consistently saying that the Flip 3 has been their most popular foldable by a large margin, uh, which makes sense. I think people kind of still want that normal phone experience, but being able to like fold it in half and shove it in your pocket without having it take up too much space makes sense to me. And, you know, there's all sorts of data from places like Counterpoint. They're saying that foldables are the fastest growing smartphone product category in 2022 with 73% year over year growth. And so they're all still, still sitting around in the 16 million units being shipped in 2022. Uh, IDC says they're expecting the, this market to sort of grow to 27 million units in 2025. Samsung itself said that in 2021, their foldable shipments grew by 300%, hitting 10 million units compared to 2020 and 2019. So there is growth. I mean, those numbers, take that with a grain of salt, like, you know, it's nothing near the 100 plus million shipments that they're selling for their normal phones, but it's still, you know, a sizable margin. And I think the key thing here is that Samsung has this massive lead over anyone else that's entering this market. So it's hard to say whether foldables are really going to be the future of phones, but in any case, they're in a very strong position because they've reiterated to a point where their products are pretty much very polished mm. and anyone else that comes in, you're going to maybe be a little more worried about, you know, quality control and that kind of stuff because, you know, Samsung has taken their time to make their products much better and much stronger, more durable. And we don't know how that's going to work for everyone else. Or maybe everyone else will start off on a better, uh, you know, path because of Samsung. What about regular Samsung phones, the non-foldable ones? Did we hear anything new about these this week? Yeah, so this this second unpack that happens, you know, annually or biannually, I should say, um, they usually save this for the Galaxy Note unveil. Um, they have not done that now for the past two years. So the last Note was in the I think twenty twenty, uh, and so. That feels like the Note is kind of dead and we're just sticking with the, you know, S series Samsung phones. And then now this foldable category, that's their, you know, second uh, high end for power users or Samsung lovers. I think they're, from what we can see, you know, with the earlier in the year announcement of the Galaxy S22 series, it's clear that I think Samsung is focusing on driving innovation in the camera for those devices because maybe it's just easier to fit larger cameras and the traditional smartphone and they're trying to do other stuff with their foldable phones but we've seen things like the 10 times optical zoom on the s22 ultra which still is a feature that isn't really very common on other android phones so i think they're doing a little more um camera having a bit more of a camera focus with their traditional phones and just you know innovating with other fun designs for the foldable one. And Samsung also sells a lot of budget phones around the world, particularly its less expensive A-line of phones. Any updates there? Uh, when are those typically announced? 
Yeah, so they announced a couple already. Um, we've tested them, and you can check out those reviews on Wired.com. There's the Galaxy A13 5G, the Galaxy A53 5G. Those phones are actually really great for the money. I mean, the a53 5G is like $450. The A13 is $280. Really great phones. And honestly, I think the key thing that is helping Samsung with these budget phones also is they're, they're one of the only smartphone makers that's making cheap phones with really lengthy support windows. So they're promising five years of security updates for all their Android phones and the three to four years of version upgrades. So, you know, you just can't really see that. And when you're telling someone, to spend even $280 on a phone, they're probably going to want to choose the one that's definitely going to get a long, as long support window as possible. And, you know, it's easy to just usher them to go with the Samsung phone. Then. So what you're saying, Julian, is that if you have the option between spending $1,800 on a brand new flippy folding phone, or you can spend a couple hundred dollars and get a pretty decent Samsung A-series phone, you should definitely go with the latter, right? Yes, yes, definitely the two. Yes, phone. it is. Whoa, even Siri agrees. <laughs> wow. Wow, Siri. I'm sure Samsung will love that. that. Yeah. Was. Yes. <laughs> we'll, Apple will love that. We'll float in a Bixby voice in post-production. <laughs> Who's Bixby? No. Just, kidding. Just kidding. All right, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back with some updates to Android. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. All right, so some of us may be lukewarm on Samsung's new foldables, but there's still reason to pay attention to them. And that's because these new form factors tend to bring in new software experiences too, like a new version of Android, which is the world's most used operating system. Back in March, Google started rolling out Android 12L to its Pixel phones, and other phones, like Samsung phones, were expected to get the update later this year. As expected, Samsung's new Z Fold 4 phone has it, and everyone is talking about it and talking about the taskbar. Julian, you mentioned 12L earlier in the show. Tell us what the deal is. Yeah, so 12L is designed for large screen tablets or phones, and it has a permanent taskbar that sits at the bottom. It's very iPad-esque. The idea is that you can quickly launch all of your favorite apps right there, and you can just click and drag an app to a particular part of the screen to launch it in either you know, one side of the screen or multi-window, split screen, whatever you want. It makes it very easy to do this um, in whatever you're doing. So if you're already in an app, you can just 
quickly access that taskbar. It just makes sense to me. They were playing around with designs of this in the previous version. They had it on like the side uh, of the screen instead of the bottom. And you have to like opt in to turn it on. So this is now a permanent thing. And there's all sorts of other uh, adjustments in 12L that make it easier to drag and drop between apps. There's just more optimizations for more apps to support the larger screen, for example. And Google is, you know, leading the charge on this because they themselves are finally updating 20 of their Google apps to make sure that they are optimized for larger screens. And when Google finally gets on board to updating their own apps, I feel like it's a sign of like, okay, maybe they're finally a little serious because, you know, traditionally they've long had tablets uh, on Android and they just kind of haven't really done much with them and just kind of let Apple take the, uh, the lead. So maybe there are signs that Android tablets might finally get really useful and nice at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate the shrug at the end of that sentence. I mean, you know, all three of us have been around long enough to have seen the first Android tablets and they look and operate a lot like the Android tablets that we see today, right? It has not really evolved in the same way that phones have evolved or that iPads have evolved. But I think, you know, with 12L, Google is probably going to be pushing pretty hard on not only Samsung, but everybody else to make a good experience. So we'll probably even see like another Google branded tablet come out. Maybe we'll see other partner tablets uh, debut later this year. Also, we should mention that there are other foldable devices out there that we've seen recently, right? There's one from Lenovo. There's one from Xiaomi. There's one from Oppo. I think there's also one from Huawei. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of those you can't buy in the United States. So that makes it difficult for Google to give an Android tablet experience a foothold in the United States. So it's kind of all on Samsung and Google's shoulders right now, isn't it? Yes. There's also Lenovo that's being a part of the conversation in, in you know, rolling out 12L, but 12L is also going to be baked into Android 13. So there's kind of like something that you'll just generally see going forward. Uh, I should also mention that Google did tease the Pixel tablet coming next year mm. back in May. So we know that Google's going to make their own tablet and so that sort of gives a bit more credence into them making sure their interface is well optimized. But also there's a lot of rumors of a Pixel Fold picking up steam for later this year, if not maybe next year. So if Google's working on a foldable phone, this also makes a little more sense that, you know, this is why they're making sure the interface is optimized just in time for their own hardware. Mike, you'd have no excuse then not to have your phone updated to 12L. Did you have to get the folding pixel? I absolutely do not have to get the folding pixel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be remarkable if Google did do that because on the one hand, we know that Google makes the pixel because it sees it as the ultimate expression yeah. of Google Android hardware. Once they control the full stack, the hardware and the software, they can just optimize it for everything. On the other hand, they sell like, I don't know, two pixels every year. They don't sell two. They sell like single digit millions of pixels every year, sure. right? A, a small percentage of the smartphone market. And even fewer people would buy the foldable, presumably. Maybe. I, you know, honestly, the, the foldable that I'm most uh, excited to see is the Apple foldable. So is there going to be an Apple foldable? No. Although I do think that if there's any company in this space that could do it and actually have it be a hit, it would be Apple. Because they have, first of all, patents on folding screen technology, which we have not seen materialize yet. Apple files bazillions of patents and only, you know, brings a few of them into the world. But they do have a patent on foldable screens. They have by far the most robust tablet app 
ecosystem out there. And they have already like, you know, a decade of proven success in tablet user experience and tablet pricing, tablet manufacturing. So they can make a big screen device that is elegant and nice that people will actually want to use because it runs all the apps that they already have on their iPads. And they also have the best design chops in Silicon Valley, you know, as far as like industrial design goes. Right. But well, we should caveat this with from what's been reported by Bloomberg that the latest version of iPad OS has been delayed, will be delayed until October. Though it typically would come out in September mm -hmm. of this year because of, uh, well, partly because of this one feature called Stage Manager. Yeah. That involves the way that you multitask on a larger screen device. So... Yes, Apple has amazing design chops and their software is some of the most fluid and accessible on the market, but like they, it's not perfect. No. The iPad experience is not perfect by far. Certainly not. And also I want to be clear that I'm not saying that I think that Apple is going to be making a foldable device. However, if there is one company that could do it, that could convince people that it is a good experience that they want, I think that company is Apple. How much would an Apple foldable cost? Oh, gosh. Probably, I don't know, probably $1,500. million. It would be more expensive than an iPad Pro, I think. Hmm. Because I think they would lead with the Pro device and then come out with the cheap one later. Julian, your thoughts? Well, wouldn't wouldn't the Apple foldable be the Pro device too? Like, wouldn't that be like a Pro user kind of thing? Yeah, totally. One thing that's really cool with Stage Manager that I noticed is that it it sort of adapts to, you know, Stage Manager's new iPad feature that lets you uh, have multiple windows of apps, very much like a desktop environment on your iPad. One thing that I have tried with it on the beta is when you shift the size of the app, it automatically learns that, you know, if you're making it smaller, it'll switch to the iPhone design of the app. If you make it a little larger, it'll switch to the iPad design of the app. And if you make it full screen, it usually switches to the desktop Mac type version of the app, which is like this really cool feature, really smart design, and maybe gives a bit more credence to the fact that Apple truly is in the best state to have some type of foldable because honestly, that's pretty much perfect than what you'd want. So what would it be called? An Apple foldable? iFold. IFold. No, it would probably be called the, the iPad Fold or the iPad X. Do they already have an X? No, uh, they would call it a 10. They don't have an <laughs> They Who don't knows? have an iPad X. We no. don't traffic in rumors on this show. No, we only traffic true. in hard we only, news. We only traffic in our own opinions. Yes. Um, let's bring it back to Android quickly. Julian, you mentioned that eventually 12L is going to merge with Android 13. So I would think that would mean that then on devices that support you know, larger screens, side-by-side uh, -side displays, that sort of thing. 12L would sort of just run on that, but everything else would be running some phone-optimized version of Android 13. Is that correct? And when will that be released? Yeah, so 12L was in beta earlier this year, and the only reason it sort of exists as the separate entity is that Google wanted to have a faster rollout. And usually what happens is when they launch Android 13, typically in the September or August timeframe of every year, that means every other third-party device usually gets Android 13 either in December, January, or sometime, you know, 2023. But by fast-tracking Android 12L, they were able to make it so that some devices would actually get the final version of Android 12L out and ready, just like the Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4. So basically all the 12L features will be baked into Android 13. So going forward, everything will just have this same feature set. 
And if you do have a larger screen, you'll just see some of those enhanced benefits with the uh, optimized interface. So fall is when we can expect that to happen. 413 on Pixel devices and, you know, certain devices, pretty much uh, September is usually when Google launches Android 13, uh, if not maybe late September. But, you know, as is the case with most Android devices, that means probably January for everything else, if not later. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. I look forward to seeing what other wacky things come out with Android 13. Like uh, like stable devices that work exactly how you want them to and have excellent battery life. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> You're so defensive. No, no, it's, it's not me being defensive. It's just mm-hmm. it's I'm making a point, which is that like you know a lot of a lot of us, I would say I would, I would guess that safely I could say the majority of phone owners just want something that like works better than what we already have and love. Right. No, no. Like it's, you know, Google has to show off its AI chops. So in the fall, when Apple rolls out its new iOS software, it's generally like, look, our customer sat is really high. We've reinvented the emoji. And here are some Siri shortcuts that you're just never going to use. And Google is like, our AI is so powerful that you never have to interact with another human being ever again. It's all robots. It's all bots. A bot's going to do everything for you. It's going to make your phone calls. It's going to take your phone calls. It's going to send your messages. It's going to complete your emails. It's going to like, if you're a parent, it's going to replace parenting. It's like wild. I use my Pixel for all of those things you just mentioned. You do, (laughs) right? Does it parent your cats for you? I mean... No, practically i wish it it's could. almost there <laughs> yeah. yeah and then samsung does the thing where samsung's like but have you seen our one ui it's our skin it's our interface over these existing things and yeah. boy does it make your life more complicated <laughs> <laughs> the water drops are still very realistic okay yes all right julian this has been really insightful thank you let's take another quick break and then we're going to come back with our recommendations Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and lift off. Click here every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so I have a sneak peek here of Julian's recommendations because he put it in a Google Doc. I'm really excited to hear about this. Julian, tell us about your recommendation this week. Okay, so my recommendation is the Shower Power Pro from a company called Ampere. They usually make charging devices and things like that. Um, They sent this to me a couple months ago, and it's basically a device you install into your shower head. So from the spigot that comes out of the wall, you put this device in there, and then you attach your shower head to the other end. And basically, it's using hydropower to generate power for the speaker. So you never have to have a charged, you know, you never have to charge your Bluetooth speaker because I know a lot of people bring a Bluetooth speaker into the shower and, you know, listen to that. You never have to do that. You never have to plug anything in. It's just always generating a charge. Kind of good for the environment, I'd say. Um, And uh, it, you know, just 
plays music. You connect it to your phone or tablet or whatever and just choose different songs and it'll play it on there. There's some controls there as well. I will say that the music quality is obviously not quite like it's not great okay it's it's not amazing you're not going to get something from a proper you know normal bluetooth speaker i'd say but it's for for the shower i'd say it's good enough for me i think this has become really nice because i feel like i don't really listen to music as much since i've been working from home which sort of happened right before the pandemic and you know basically through the pandemic i used to listen to a lot of music when i commuted to my old job and just generally when i was outside but now I feel like I can't really listen to music and work usually. I, um, otherwise, I have to only listen to instrumental music because things with words distract me. And so this has become a way of rediscovering music in a way that's not quite just pressing the shuffle button. I actually choose like an artist and it's only a few minutes anyway. So I try to listen to some songs that I haven't heard from them in a while or new songs like that. And it's kind of like just a nice little way of music curation and just getting that time that I used to have pre-pandemic back in a way. And it's very nice. And I like to think it's, uh, you know, I'm helping the environment in some way. I will say that you have to be careful because if you are... Because it's not waterproof. <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. okay it, is, it is thankfully it waterproof. Is. Okay. Um, but you have to be careful that if you keep singing too long, you're just going to waste water uh, sitting in the shower. So maybe don't do that. But, you know... Just, you know, I usually keep it to how, the length of my usual showers and um, just it, it, st it still continues playing after the shower turns off because it still maintains a bit of a charge. So, you know, as I'm brushing my teeth, it continues playing, which is just, just a little nice, little nice uh, shower activity. Julian, nice. I see on their website that there is a version of it that has glowing LED lights. Do you have the LED light version? Sadly, I do not have party the glowing in, light. in the shower. Okay. I wish. I wish. Um, it does not seem like the LED lights is worth the $50 upcharge, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah. I really want this. Yeah. That's pretty dope. Sweet. Julian, thanks for that. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? Uh, I'm going to recommend a book. Uh, it's a book that I'm just about done with. I'm on the last chapter. It's called The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Chuck Klosterman is uh, a former spin editor and longtime uh, essay writer and cultural critic. Uh, you might remember his excellent book, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, or Killing Yourself to Live. He is a Midwestern guy who is a Gen Xer who lived through the 90s, and now he's writing about it. It's really just fascinating to look back at a decade that seemingly everybody is obsessed with now through the lens of how much transformative stuff happened during that decade. Like it was a huge decade for music. It's a huge decade for politics. It was a huge decade for race relations in this country. Uh, there's a lot of big news events that happened in the 1990s that in the era when the internet was still young shaped a lot of the world. Now that everybody knows everything all of the time, the world is very different than it was back then. And that's like the last gasp of the pre-internet era. Mm -hmm. So I've really enjoyed reading this book as somebody who was a fully conscious adult for most of the 90s. Uh, I turned 15 in 1990. Is that right? Yeah, I turned 15. <laughs> I had to think about that for a minute. Mm -hmm. I turned 15 in 1990 and I turned 25 in the year 2000. So it was when I came of age. Mm -hmm. And you know, it is nice to read it as a person who is older now, written by somebody who is a contemporary of mine, I really enjoyed it. 
I've also recommended this book to a couple of uh, family members who are younger than me. They've also enjoyed it. So really, it's a book for everybody, especially if you if you like Chuck Klosterman and you like his very tongue-in-cheek, overly scholarly, for ir- irony's sake, version of cultural criticism. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I really, I really dig it. That sounds great. I really want to add that to my reading list. Okay. I'll add it to my Goodreads. Do it. I have a funny story about the 90s. Okay. My niece is turning 14 this month. And I wrote to her yesterday. She's always on iMessage. I wrote to her and I said, what would you like for your birthday? And she sent me a link to an Urban Outfitters Nirvana smiley face partially tie-dyed sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. It's my 14-year-old niece, which is around the age that I was when Kurt Cobain died, wants a Nirvana sweatshirt. And I said, do you know who this is? And I sent her a photo of Kurt Cobain and she replied... (laughs) No idea. <laughs> Earnestly replied, no idea. Yeah, like no, I could. I know. it was almost it was scathing. It was just two words, but I could I could hear how scathing it was. I could practically see her rolling her eyes as she went. Oh, no idea, because she knew no it was idea. like a shibboleth kind of like a test, but she just didn't want to engage. Yeah, yeah. She, and then she said, and I said, oh, he was the lead singer of Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. Um, he died at age twenty-seven, and. Um, He's part of this club called the Twenty Seven Club, and then I and then I was like, you know, now I'm I'm old. I'm old. I'm like explaining to her mm-hmm, about this, mm-hmm. um, and then I was like, you know, this is why you should never do drugs, and 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 then <laughs> she and then <laughs> she was like, I thought so, but I just wasn't sure. But like anyway, thanks for the sweatshirt. You know, mm-hmm. like she she just like had she just likes the sweatshirt. Yeah, and I was like, okay. There are a lot of teens who think that Nirvana is a clothing brand. Oh, and God. who think that the Grateful Dead is a clothing brand oh. that are are unaware that there are like bands that had a logo that then just got licensed to Oblivion. Do we know why band, these band T-shirts and logos are such a thing these days? It's instant cool. You put it on, you're cool. Just like the old days. Some things never change. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing. This is just amazing. I was going to mention the cover of the, the 90s book is, of course, uh, brilliantly a a transparent phone. Yes. Which is, yes. we've come full circle. Yes, so. the transparent phone. Yes, I had one of those. And the subtitle of, of the book is A Book. It's <laughs> the, the full title is The 90s, A Book, just because it seems so weird. It's quaint. I liked it a lot. Uh, okay, enough about that. Lauren, what is your recommendation? Uh, to start, I have a non-recommendation. Okay. Mike, not long ago, you recommended a movie to me, oh, <laughs> which yeah. I finally watched. And I'm never getting those two hours and 16 minutes of my life back. Uh, <laughs> I watched The Northman. The Northman. Yes. And I and then I I was like, am I nuts for not liking this? But so yes. I went and read a bunch of reviews and there were just as many reviews in support of the film as there were saying this is what is even happening here. A sign and, of great art. And yes. I am in the latter camp. I what is even happening in this movie? Lauren, you didn't like it? No, and here's the thing. I love a Skarsgård. Sure. This is why you recommended it to me. He literally does not wear a shirt for the entire film. I'm okay with that. <laughs> that is not the part of the film that I dislike. You got you got Ethan Hawke yeah. as like the cool dad. Yeah, yeah, only briefly in the film. Nicole Kidman in full evil Completely mode. underutilized in the film. Oh, that yeah, that's weird. There's like incest stuff going on there. Yeah, you've got magic Valkyries. What's the uh, the woman who's in the um, Anya the Queen's Gambit? Yes, yeah, Yeah, she was good. I I don't know. I just I couldn't. It like it was very um, 
spectacular, right? And I sweeping agree. and the music was really dramatic and even this like the settings were incredibly dramatic. Um there's like this one scene where Alexander Skarsgård and Anya Taylor-Joy is that is that her name? They're in like a hot spring together and even just like the way the horses are sort of staged in the background is very it's very curated, right? Um it's meant to be art, clearly. But this is a good recommendation. But, I but like the this. word <laughs> spectacle is with is embedded in the word spectacular. And this just felt like a spectacle. And um, I don't know, sometimes it felt like the way these Viking characters spoke was like practically nonverbal. And that kind of threw me too. I just I I don't know. I was very confused by it. I I, I uh don't I understand, watch it. And I appreciate your your non-recommendation i'm never taking a recommendation from you again oh come on i'm just kidding that was just a i don't know i really didn't like it i'm batting like nine for ten over here (sighs) if you have any other scars guard recommendations i'll take them Uh, okay, my actual recommendation this week. I couldn't come up with anything because I wasted. I, can't you didn't I like the Northman. Oh, I did not so like good. the Northman. Julian, um, did you see it? Julian, have you uh, seen it? I will it? watch it now. Oh, see, it sounds no. bizarre. <laughs> Please let me know what you think. I really want to hear. Your, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, Robert Eggers. He also did the Lighthouse. That's and on my the list Witch, too, yeah. which are two other fantastic, spectacular movies. I do want to see the Lighthouse. <laughs> yes. So because I wasted all of my cultural capital this week on that two hours plus film, I, I didn't really get around to reading. Well, I'm still reading the Anna Wintour book, which I'm enjoying, but it's like 500 pages long, so I'm not done with it. I haven't listened to other podcasts this week. I did listen to one Ezra Klein podcast I'm not going to recommend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, what am I going to? Okay, so the only thing I came up with this week to recommend is very Gilad, our buddy Gilad, who recommends like random random stuff. Oatmeal. I recommend oatmeal. Oatmeal. Yeah. Overnight oats, steel cut oats. I, I, I don't have time for overnight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the easiest. I know because you just make it and put it in the fridge. But uh-huh. like I am of the, I am running out the door like Instant. everything's on fire and I've got to just throw something in Tupperware so I can go and, and heat it up later. Um, and so, yeah, I'm using, I'm using one of those brands of oatmeal that I don't remember now, but it looks very natural and like you're buying it from the farm. But like everything in this world is probably owned by some private equity company. Uh, it's called like Mill, Bob's Mill. Is that Bob's Red Mill? Bob's, yeah, that's what I'm, oh, yes. Bob's Red Mill. I don't know like, if they're owned by, I just, everything is owned by private equity now. That is, probably a, that is a pillar of the natural foods community. Okay. So I'm, so I have Bob's Mill oatmeal. Legit, yeah. I very much enjoy it. I put nuts in there i put blueberries in there i put a little bit of cinnamon in there some people make their oatmeal with milk i do not i just use hot water um salt mike is nodding vigorously because he's vegan he's all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh no no extra salt <laughs> because i'm using a vegan recipe <laughs> that's my recommendation oatmeal i'm sitting here smugly nodding <laughs> yes, with my is. chin jutting out yeah forward. do you know how you do you know how you know people are vegan because they tell you yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I will tell them that you're vegan. Wait, where'd you go to school? <laughs> Not Harvard. Some other school in Massachusetts that literally no one's oh, ever heard boy. of. So yeah, that's my recommendation. <laughs> this podcast is really Tune in next week gone. to find out what page in the Anna Winter book Lauren is on. <laughs> um, all right. Now that this podcast has gone completely off the rails, thank you for listening. Julian, thank you for joining us for a lovely conversation about... Uh, folding phones and alexander skarsgård and oatmeal (laughs) thank you for having me (laughs) (laughs) 
Mike, thanks for being a great co-host. Oh, you're welcome. It's always fun. And thanks to all of you for listening, especially if you've listened to this far. <laughs> if you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. We're all there glued to it, unfortunately. Just check the show notes. We'll put our handles in there. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. We'll be back next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs> Never drink coffee before a podcast. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From P. 